We're in a series on spiritual warfare, and we're on uh, number seven, I think, or eight. Can't keep up with them, but we've kind of digressed slightly off of the path of Ephesians chapter six, and now we're into vices. These are little things that Paul says we are not unaware of Satan's schemes. So this morning, another one of his schemes to defeat and discourage a believer, are you ready for this, is physical suffering. Now, anybody who has ever endured this knows that there is a set amount of depression that comes when you reach an inability to function. Because mainly what we do is we sit around and think that if we have a poor quality of life, then we are unable to be used by God and to function the way that we should. So what I want to do today is imagine there's a big glass that's pictured the perfect life with God is health, strength, prosperity, and plenty. We want to take a hammer this morning and hit that right at the bottom, and we want every bit of that to crumble straight to the ground. Because that is not biblical theology. That is not what Scripture teaches about life. Scripture does not teach that God's plan for you is health, prosperity, and blessing. Are you, are you listening to me? Take all of that notion that you have in your mind by looking at the world and throw it away. Because that is not what God's Word teaches about His people. God's Word teaches that people are in pain... They suffer, they are in anguish, many, many times they are without, they struggle with different things, whether it be mental, whether it be physical, and they have to persevere and push through life. And they do it not on their own strength, they do it 100% dependent upon God and His grace to get them through. Now, Folks, that is what Scripture teaches us. The question is not, is that what God teaches us? The question is, are we ready to digest that? Are we ready to suffer? Are we ready to endure things that aren't pleasant to us and still keep our testimony? You know, as a pastor, you visit people and you get to witness and share with people that go through struggles and strife and turmoil and hardship. And it's rather amazing to watch the response of people. And let me just say this, because you don't know and I don't know how we would react if something major would happen in our life. For example, let's say a lump comes up on you and you go to the doctor and you discover that it is cancer. Now that has happened to some of you in here. What does that do to your spiritual life? A lot of people will travel for miles and miles and go to different places to try to get healed. There's nothing wrong with trying to seek medical intervention, even prayer, having people pray for you. But my point is, oftentimes a calamity in life like that shatters us to the core and shows us really what we're made of. Are you ready for this? Not much. And there's a man that normally watches our service. I'm going to tell you a little story about him before we get into the text. He was a young, strong man, hard worker, worked his whole life on a farm, had the opportunity to go drive a tractor trailer. 
and became totally obsessed with that. He'll tell you this story his own self. He had worked all day before the CDL regulations and his wife begged him not to go back out because he hadn't had any sleep, but he didn't listen to her. Went right back out into his truck and took off down the road. He made it just a few miles down the road one night, fell asleep in the tractor trailer and it turned over on its side. He broke his back and it paralyzed him and he lost the use of both legs. He was about 20 to 21 years old. He became so angry at God, angry at himself, angry at his family, until finally he realized that the only way he was going to survive and even thrive was to surrender. And I can say this because this man was my church treasurer the entire time I was there, and I watched him roll around in a wheelchair in his 60s. I never heard him complain. He mashed his fingers in the door. He mashed his fingers in his wheelchair. His wheelchair would break. His car would break down. He couldn't do things. I never heard the man complain. And one day I asked him, how in the world do you go through life like this and never complain? And he told me the answer. I'll share the answer in just a moment. Take God's word and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. And we're going to answer this question in 2 Corinthians 12 in relationship to spiritual warfare, okay? Because I told you physical suffering, sometimes mental anguish, is a result of spiritual warfare. Why does God allow suffering in the lives of his children? Can you answer that? Well, we can answer it this morning, and Paul's going to give us that answer. I'm going to read verse 7 and then go back up and talk about the whole passage. But here's the text this morning, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, I'm going to read it this way, you ready? A stake, not a T-bone, but a sharpened, pungied stake, translated a thorn here, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word and for what it teaches us about you, about us, and about life. Help us, Lord, to leave changed this morning because of what we've seen in your word And what we know will ultimately come in our life. And so we ask for your grace this morning to give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are willing to accept your truth in our life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why does God allow suffering in the lives of his children? Well, I want to share with you a few things this morning, a few reasons why. But let me just reiterate, as I've said, how many times now? Oh, a half a dozen. That oftentimes in the Christian life, when we think about spiritual warfare, we do not think that it comes in forms such as anger, unforgiveness, sexual temptation, and also physical infirmities. We don't think that spiritual warfare comes at us from those angles, but it does. 
And we're going to discover that unless we understand these things and have a biblical perspective, something will happen to us. And that is we will become discouraged and defeated thinking this is not God's plan for us. So what are some reasons? I'm going to give you four this morning just from this passage. There are many others throughout Scripture. But I want to give you four from 2 Corinthians 12 of why God allows suffering in the life of his children. So let me go back up to verse 1, and I'm going to read this passage, explain a little bit of it, and tell you what's going on. Now remember, 2 Corinthians is a defense of Paul's apostleship. What happened was, he traveled to the city of Corinth, and as he began to minister there and plant a church, he was forced to leave. He wrote that church and said, I want to come back and see you, but some things happened that hindered him from being able to come. As was often the case with Paul, people rose up in behind him and came and said, that man is not God's man. He's a weakling. He can't speak. Look at his body. He can't preach. And everything he does is absolutely not what God's apostles should look like. And so they demeaned Paul, and as we talked about a few weeks ago, they actually publicly made fun of Paul, and nobody in the church said a thing. So 2 Corinthians is Paul writing back to this church, defending himself, that even though he's weak, even though he suffered, even though he was sick, he was still God's messenger, and he was going to allow his weakness to prove that he was strong. And so when you read this letter, the whole theme of the letter is power in weakness. And this is what Paul is trying to say to this church. He's saying, you're looking to these super apostles thinking they're giving you the greatest message. I'm going to tell you what's the greatest message. That God uses weakness more than he does strength. Now, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is saying, they have given you visions and dreams and all these things and you have fallen for them. You believe that they're more powerful. Well, he says this, let me go on and boast. Can, can I go back and, in verse chapter 11? See, this is the problem. Go back in chapter 11. Look at verse 16. I'm just going to read this to you and let it flow. Paul says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a, as a fool, since you think I am. Verse 18, Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear, bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool now, I also dare to boast of that. Now he's going to talk about these super apostles. Notice what he says. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Is that their boast? So am I. Are they offspring from Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Listen to this resume. 
Five times I received at the hands of Isis forty lashes less one. Thirty-nine beatings with a rod. You all have never seen this, have you? You should, you should go research this a little bit. They would take a bunch of round rods about the size of a CB antenna and they would line you up and they would tie your hands up in the air. And they would start at your head and they would begin beating down one side of your body. And then they would turn around and beat up the other side. Now the Jews had this concept that they couldn't hit you 40 times because you would die. They didn't want you to die, they just wanted you to suffer. Now, how many of y'all have ever had a, a whipping with a good apple tree switch? Not many, not many as, as should. But if you've ever had your legs burn up with an apple tree switch for disobeying your parents, you understand the pain of a switch. Now, can you imagine a rod? Listen to what Paul says. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. I mean, this broke ribs. It left marks. You should write down Galatians chapter 6 here. Paul says, let these people leave me alone. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Because he preached the gospel, he was beaten, and he could pull his shirt up and show where he was whipped from head to toe. Five times I received this. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers. Billy, we know a little bit about that, don't we? Uh, I'll tell you all this quick story. We went fishing one time up in New York. We heard this horn going off and we didn't know what in the world was going on. And all the water just about dried up in the salmon stream. So we thought, man, this is a great time to get across. We walked across the river. Everybody else was on the other side. A few minutes later, the horn blew again. And guess what happened? They released the dam. Not only did it go up one foot, two foot, three foot, four foot, it was flowing. We like to never got across. A few of us stranded on the other side of the river in waders in cold water had to wade across. That was one time that I thank God I was six foot four. I watched all the rest of those short people and I was like, my gracious. Danger in rivers. Anybody almost drowned? Several in here have almost drowned. Paul says, I was in danger of rivers. Look what else he says. Shipwrecked. Anybody been shipwrecked? Ever had to float on a board out in the middle of the sea? Listen to what Paul says. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. You ever thought about this? A whole night and a whole day floating out in the water, hanging onto a board just to spare your life. Now, wouldn't you think if this was God's man, God would have sent an angel down and rescued Paul? Wouldn't he, wouldn't he have rescued him? Why did he let him sit out there for an, a night and a day in salt water floating up and down? Notice what else he says. On frequent journeys, never had a home, couldn't put down roots, always going here and there and up, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers. Hmm. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the country. Paul said, everywhere I went, I was in danger. 
People trying to kill me, rob me, beat me. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers. That, that sounds like a wonderful Christian life. Listen, what else he goes on to say? In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night. In other words, there were so many that I, I can't even keep up with them. No sleep. Now, you know what it's like to live without sleep? Have a bunch of babies and you'll find out. You ever tried to function on an hour of sleep, half hour of sleep, hour here, hour there? I'm not done yet. Many a sleepless night in hunger and in thirst. How many of y'all have ever been hungry? I'm not talking about for lunch. I'm talking about no food. You all watch that show alone? We, we started watching it a while back. These people go out in the wilderness trying to outlive the other. Some of them don't make it but 60 days living off the land. And they get pulled for medical reasons because they're starving to death. Withering up, no body fat. Their, their body organs are beginning to shut down. Can you imagine what that would be like? Hungry, starving to death, dying of thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Andrew, what was that term you used about camping? What was it? Glamping? What is that? Glamorous camping. <laughs> RVs. I, I get it now. The plane landing. Glamping. Glamping. You ever slip outside when the frost is on the ground with no cover? That's not fun. Ever slip outside in the rain while it's beating down on you and you're just absolutely drenched and cold and freezing and you can't go to sleep? You ever done that? It's not very nice. This is God's greatest apostle here. And apart from the other things, listen to what he says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety. Paul had anxiety. For all the churches. He went around and planted all these churches and these churches wrote him letters back about all the problems people were going through in their life. And when you're in ministry and you pour in people's lives and they hurt, you hurt with them. You can't help it. When there's division, your heart breaks. And Paul says, on top of all these physical things that happen to me, now I have anxiety because I can't be there to help fix it or even if I am, I can't fix it. And I'm just anxious. Now look in verse 29. Who is weak? And I am not weak? I mean, am I not susceptible to this? Who is made to fall? And I'm going to read it here. Am I not also able to fall? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. You want my pedigree in in the Christian life? Here you go. Beaten, rivers, starving, thirsty, nothing to eat, nothing to buy with, totally at the mercy of God. Listen to what he says in verse 31. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. 
but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. He wanted my head. God delivered me in a basket. By the way, why did Paul mention this basket thing? Some, some commentators believe that this is what the super apostles were saying. Paul's a chicken. I mean, what chicken runs from danger? He's a chicken. He went down the wall in a basket trying to get out of the town because he was afraid to face the truth. And Paul's going, no, I was running for my head. Now notice what he says in verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Finally, I'm here. I must go on boasting that there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he, this man heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now notice what he says. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Now let me stop right there. Paul said, you've heard from all these super apostles the great visions and dreams they've had. Now think about this. Paul says, I saw something 14 years ago that I could have went around sharing and telling people about everything I've seen, everything I've experienced, and I haven't said a word until right now. Paul could have sold books. Probably could have called it Rapture You. He could have had seminars on it. What it's like to see third heaven. Let me, let me tell you what the vision of God is about. Paul never said a word for 14 years. Never told anybody about him being caught up into third heaven. By the way, I've told you this before. Back in the Old Testament when the prophets were given a vision by God... They were caught up into the council chambers of third heaven. Ezekiel was taken up uh, from the Kabar River. Other apostles like, and prophets like Isaiah were taken up and saw things in third heaven. This is how they were authenticated as a prophet. They were taken up into God's presence and they were spoken to and they would come back down and they would oftentimes suffer for it. Same thing happened to Amos and different prophets. And they would preach and tell what they saw. The same thing happened to the Apostle Paul. He was taken up just like one of the Old Testament prophets. But he never said a word about it. Why didn't he do that? So that no one may boast. Paul makes this statement, and this is a good sermon, by the way. He says this, But I refrain from it, from telling you about it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul said this, that the Christian life is not about the experiences you endure. It's about the character that you demonstrate. Paul says, I don't want you knowing about me because of all the mir miracles I saw. I want you knowing about me because of how I live, how I speak, and how I behave. 
Now, by the way, wouldn't you like to get into the life of some people who claim their closeness to God? Oh, I saw this vision. I saw this dream. I saw this miracle. I saw... Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall sometimes? Seeing what they scroll through in their private life, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall, listen to them talk to their spouse or their children? Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall when they handle finances and deal handing money to people? Do they try to cheat people out of money or try to take advantage of them? Yeah, it's amazing what crops up in the Christian life, isn't it? And what does Paul say? He says, I don't want you to know me by what I see. I want you to know me by how I live. What a motto for the Christian life. Verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Notice what Paul did, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. It wasn't comfortable. You all ever had a thorn in the flesh? How about a literal one? A while back I was working with some wood and I rammed a splinter up deep inside my third finger right there, way up in the fingernail. I tried to take a needle, I tried to dig that thing out, tried to get tweezers, and it kept growing way back up in here. Every time I pushed on something, I could feel that splinter under my fingernail, deep up in the quick. Digging and digging, letting it grow. I had to wait almost a month to a month and a half for it to grow out enough where I could get the end of it and yank it out. A thorn in the flesh. Paul says, I prayed three times. Notice this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. What did he plead with him? Take it away. Take it away, Lord. Get rid of it. But what did he say? I pleaded that it should leave me. But he said this, My grace is sufficient for you. If you don't have the pain, you won't ask for my grace. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes God wants to drive us to our knees so that we are dependent upon His grace. Does it mean it's wrong to pray that the thorns remove? No, doesn't mean that. But it does mean if our prayer doesn't get answered the way we want, we don't pout about it. We turn it around, and I'm going to share that with you. So what are four reasons God allows suffering in our life? One man, one commentator wrote this. There should be quotes up there. He says, The truth here about the thorn that we all should note is that while the thorn was Satan's work, it was God who allowed it. Just as God was the one who was responsible for the ecstasy of Paul's rapture to third heaven, God was also responsible for the agony of his thorn. Satan thought he could defeat Paul, and God let him do it. But what was the result? Well, we'll see in a minute. Paul's weakness became his strength. 
The first reason God allows suffering in the life is to remind us of our frailty. To remind us of our frailty. Do you realize how frail you and I really are? I mean, think about this. You are so frail. I am so frail. Vance Havner, the North Carolina preacher, country preacher from years ago, preached a sermon one time entitled, Little Things. I've never forgotten it. He said, little things in life derail us and show us how weak we are. Splinters in the finger. Dirt in the eye. Havner said, you can just get a little grain of dirt in your eye, and I don't care how big of a man or a woman you are, it will completely sideline you. And on and on down the list, he started mentioning the little things in life that take us out. But we are really weak, folks. You know, when, when we're young and we're, we, we're fit, we're physical, we think, oh, this is all wonderful and great, but you will get old. And if God allows you to get old, you will have problems. Your eyes change. Your ears change. Your bones change. And you will ache. And you will have problems. And get ready for this. You will die. I am talking to people... You're going to die. I don't know when. You don't know when. But you will die. My responsibility is to help you prepare for that death. To meet God the Father through the work and the person of Jesus Christ the Lord. To help you have your sins taken care of so that you can be His child. And then after you become His child... To, to help you understand what God says about life and problems and pain. But we are weak, folks. And sometimes God allows physical suffering in our life to show us how weak we are. But boy, we fight against it, don't we? The second reason that God allows physical suffering, mental anguish, whatever you want to call it here, suffering in life is to teach us humility. One man wrote, there is no place for arrogance in the Christian life. You know, if God senses that believers become arrogant, sometimes he will discipline us to humble us. One of the greatest humbling acts that God can ever give us is physical sickness. Because it completely sets you on the sideline. It changes your perspective on life. It changes your perspective on God. It changes the way you treat other people. Because we realize how short life is. Humility. Thinking less of ourselves than we ought to think. Naturally, we as human beings are puffed up with what? Pride. We're filled with it. And oftentimes God allows this to humble us. And to teach us humility. The third reason is to draw us to be dependent upon Jesus and not ourselves. Now, one man wrote this over this section here. He said, the Apostle Paul was allowed this vision in third heaven because the despair that he went through would have crushed a thousand souls. I read that statement and began to think. You know, have you ever asked yourself this question? Would I serve Jesus if every time I went out and preached, I was beaten, 
stoned, rejected, starved, mistreated, misquoted, made fun of, would I keep preaching Jesus? Well, Paul did. And you want to know why God gave him this vision of third heaven? To enable him to be able to continue because he was living by faith and not by sight. Paul knew what he experienced in third heaven and nobody could tell him that he he didn't experience that. He knew it. That vision for the Apostle Paul, are you ready for this, was personal. It was not for the community. God did that in Paul's life to strengthen him personally, not to go around and say, oh, let me tell you, I I was taken up into third heaven and I know things about God the Father that uh, even some of the theologians don't know. If you all want to know about them, come to my seminar and $999, you can sit in on a session. By the way, this is what people do. They sell knowledge about God. Did you know that? And Paul said, I didn't do that. As a matter of fact, I didn't even tell you about it. And you want to know why I'm weak? They're making fun of me. You're making fun of me. Everybody's making fun of me. And I've never defended myself, but I'm going to say it right now. The reason I'm weak is because God made me weak. And the reason God made me weak was so that I would be dependent upon Him. That's His way, not my way. That's God's method, not my method. And I've turned that around and I have realized that my greatest asset in life is my weakness because it is what makes me strong. So if you want to make fun of me or those super apostles want to make fun of me, go ahead. Go ahead, I don't care. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone who believes. To the Jew first, whether they beat me or not, and then to the Gentile. Whether they beat me or not, I'm taking it, Paul said. At the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy, he said, I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. Pour me out. I have finished the race. I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. And there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will give to me on that day. And not only me, but everyone who loves his appearing. Why could Paul write and say something like that? Because he knew why he was suffering And he knew who enabled him to be strong. To draw us to be dependent on Jesus and not ourselves. A fourth reason is to enable us to learn the sufficiency of God's grace. God's grace is not just what saves our soul. God's grace is what sustains us in life. God's grace is what he gives to us to enable us to put up with other people. God's grace is what He gives us to endure physical suffering. God's grace is what He gives us when things don't go our way, not to lose our testimony because we didn't have it the way we wanted it. God's grace is what enables us to love the unlovable. God's grace is what sustains us and enables us in life when everybody else would give up. It is the grace of God. And Paul writes this. I'm back down in verse 9 again because 
This is the climax of the book. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why would he do that? You ready? You looking at the text? I'm going to boast about my weaknesses for the purpose here, purpose clause, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You want the power of Christ? How does Paul say you get it? How? Thank you. Through suffering and through weakness. Now let me ask you a question. You ready? Boy, I had to ask myself this. Is the altar going to be full this morning? Everybody's going to be up here praying. Oh God, give me your power. Bring suffering on me, Lord. Bring it on me. So that, I'm not praying that by the way. Bring it on me so everybody can see my power. I'll, I'll bet you there would be few Christians who would come up and I'm right there with you now. I'm not judging. Please. Bring on the suffering, Lord, so I can feel your power. I, I don't know that I'm there yet. Y'all, do you all judge me for that? Now, he, here's what I do pray. God, Father, if it's your plan for me to sidetrack my life, what I think sidetracking, you have something in store for me that I don't know, here's what I pray. Lord, give me the grace to endure it and not lose my testimony. If you want me to go out in weakness or sickness or however you want me to go out, Father, that's your will. Just give me the grace to endure it so I don't bring shame on your name. Because I'd rather die in a car wreck. Are you listening to me? I'd rather die in a car wreck than I would deny or shame the Lord and doubt and deny Him in what happens in my life. Paul says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now look, look at verse 10 because this is so sweet. For the sake of Christ then, I am content. He didn't say he was happy. I am content with weaknesses. Not just weaknesses, but I'm content with insults. I am content with hardships. I am content with persecutions and I am content with calamities. Now let me just stop there. Are you ready for this? As a Christian, living your Christian life, sharing the gospel of Christ, living for the Lord, Paul says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Now now imagine Philippians chapter 4. I can accept all things through Christ who gives me strength. Whether I'm in plenty, whether I'm not, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm full. I can accept all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
Paul says, the reason I can do that, the reason I'm content, is because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. There's a little lady, I'm going to show you her picture up here. Her name is Henrietta Mears. You ever heard of her? I'd never heard of her. Stumbled across this sweet little lady. She was a Presbyterian, by the way. But Henrietta Mears uh, was used mightily by God in the evangelical church through her discipleship and her writing ministry. However, Henrietta suffered from childhood with an extreme myopia. She couldn't see. She was almost completely blind. And she had general eye weakness and irritation. She cried out for relief, she says, but it was to no avail. In her maturity, Miss Mears often remarked, listen to this quote, I believe my greatest spiritual asset throughout my entire life has been my failing eyesight. For it has kept me absolutely dependent upon my God. Henrietta Mears went on, still plagued by her increasing disability, to set the standard for Sunday schools in America. She is the one who founded Gospel Light and wrote the million-plus bestseller, What the Bible is All About. She was influential in shaping the ministries of great, known Christian leaders such as Billy Graham, Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and Richard Halverson, chaplain of the United States Senate. And this only names a few. One writer writes this. He says, The paradox of power is this, For when I am weak, then I am strong. God doesn't need our perceived strengths. If that is what we depend upon, He wants our weaknesses, our suffering, our inadequacies, our disabilities, our failures, our fears, and even more, He wants us to boast of our weaknesses so that Christ in His power will pitch His tent in us. Christ in us. That is the reward of those who serve Him with their weaknesses. Now, we want to leave change this morning, right? I mean, you don't want to just come to church and fall asleep because it's too hot in here. You want to leave changed. So here's what you do. What is the weakness you're struggling with in your life? What is it that you think that God has placed upon you that maybe is unfair or you don't understand or you, don't, you can't explain why you have it? Well, there was one man who gave some excellent advice and wisdom on physical or mental anguish and suffering and how to deal with it. This is what he said. Number one, pray to escape it. God, if you'll take this away from me, then take it away because I don't want this. He said this, but if that doesn't happen and you pray and God doesn't take it away, there's a second thing you should do, and that is pray to endure it. Say, Lord, if you're going to allow this in my life, then give me the grace to be able to take this and to use this, whatever it is, for your advantage. And then finally, pray to enlist it. In other words, make your weakness your platform for ministry. One story was a cancer patient 
person always wanted to be able to get into a hospital and talk to people, but couldn't. Weren't a, they were not a pastor. So they decided, you know what? I've got cancer. I've prayed that it would be gone. It didn't. I'm going through chemotherapy treatments. I've asked God to give me grace to go through it. So you know what? I'm going to use this cancer. When I go in that cancer ward and receive my treatment, I'm going to talk to other people about Jesus. I'm going to enlist it. And this is what God wants us to do in our Christian life. So, the big question is, are we ready to enlist the sufferings that we have instead of allowing them to defeat us? My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you, Father, that this is real life. This is Christian life. We thank you that when we endure struggle and hardship, you're speaking to us. You're wanting to humble us. You're wanting us to be dependent upon you. And you're wanting to work through us. So whatever our circumstances in life are that we can't control, Father, may they not defeat us, but may we truly enlist these things and make them a platform to share your hope and to share your grace with other people. And we'll thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in the lives of people today and from this point forward because we understand this principle and this truth in life that power is made perfect in weakness. For the power of Christ will rest upon us. May that saturate our souls and may it become the theme of our life. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.